Hello, everyone, and welcome to Weekly Maga Recap. It is August the 28th of 2019. I am Nick, here alongside Chris, and you are watching what may very well be the last episode of Weekly Maga Recap before we devolve into insanity when we start reading the Sadistic Tip September series. Uh, Which we're going to save to the end. We're going to save to the end. We're going to tease uh, this out, guys. You got to get through plugs. You got to get through everything. I, I've read one chapter of it so far, and um, yeah. Well, I can tell you this, Nick. I read the second chapter so far. It doesn't get better. Damn <laughs> it! Fact, it gets a little worse. <laughs> I was hoping it would take a dramatic U-turn. You're like, well, they not got, be they, about what it's about. <laughs> they got that out of their system. No, they didn't. It's uh, no, no. There's, 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 that's what their system is composed of. That is what their system is meant to produce. <laughs> there's small signs that it actually may be getting worse too. So. God damn it! We have a lot of manga to talk about this week. Uh, we've got a new jump start to talk about that is replacing the last Sayuki, so we're going to probably end up having a fairly sizable discussion about that. And there is the final, 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 final chapter of Food Wars to talk about, so we had better get into it. Recap portion of Ukamanga Recap. We are kicking things off. Number 240, Power. So this is the aftermath of the uh, League of Villains battle with the Metahuman Liberation Front. Uh, we actually see the Metahuman Liberation Front's, uh, uh, what do you call it? Freaking, the word is escaping me, and this happens to me all the time. Uh, propaganda machine wow. at work. Uh, of course, with their influence over the media and everything like that. And they basically say like, oh, yeah, there was the, the there were these people who had a grudge against heroes and there were terrorists and uh, they attacked the place and there was a lot of death and destruction. And but heroes were able to get it under control and stuff like that. And we actually see that this is because this is presented as like narration as if this is what actually happened. But of course, we can see the newspapers going out. We can see. Uh, people doctoring footage and everything like that so that they can actually put this story into effect as so that no one will think, oh, yeah, we've it was a battle between two evil organizations who have now teamed up to conquer the world. That's how it is. Uh, then we cut over to where the League of Villains are eating. Uh, finally, they got their sushi, Nick. They got their sushi. They got their peanuts. Mm -hmm. There's a, there are a couple of fun little details uh, in their interactions here, like how Dobby is one talking shit on everyone and two doesn't like fish yet. Apparently agreed to sushi to begin with. <laughs> I don't even care. Man. That's me, though. I'm a shit talker who also doesn't like fish. So I, I relate to Dobby, Nick. I also shoot fire out of my hands. That's the other way I relate. To Dobby. Uh, OK, OK. It's a good thing you haven't scarred yourself horribly. Nope. Twice has set up a little altar to Toga, who he treats as having died. And Toga's like, that's really creepy. I'm alive. Why are you doing that? <laughs> but I don't know if the idea I is that he's being weird or if he's actually setting up an altar to one of the clones of Toga who I, died. I thought it was a clone of Toga that, that he's he's mourning. Because he says if Toga hadn't shared her blood, Toga would have. So I think I, he's referring to a clone. Yeah. And she's like, it's creepy because I, the real one's still alive. And we see that uh, despite the fact that Twice had his huge breakthrough during the battle, that he's still kind of really crazy. And he's still doing his contradicting himself stuff. In fact, it seems to be stronger than ever. So uh, it appears as though he has gotten over a mental block, but it has not done anything to actually make him more stable. So. Uh, 
we then get a very odd transition because they're eating sushi. So then when they're not eating sushi, we get a little Maguro sushi thing that goes Maguro as they cut to the next scene. It's very odd. It's almost as if, you know, you're like watching a 60s TV series and we get the, you know, kind of effect. Uh, Skeptic is kind of pissed off about all the money that they're spending on the League of Villains. And, you know, not to mention Redestro getting his legs chopped off, buildings crumbling. It's, this cost a lot. OK. <laughs> uh, but Trumpet says, like, I you know, just let it go. The, the Redestro chose these people. So, you know, that's as good as if the word of Destro has ordained them. So we're going to do this. And we see that Redestro as uh Take it to his new role as just kind of second fiddle really, really, really readily. Yeah. As uh, the League of Villains is up on a stage along with uh, Redestro and some of the important generals left from the Metahuman Liberation Front, the ones they didn't kill. Uh, and Redestro is in basically a hover chair uh, since he can't walk anymore. Uh, speaking of walking, Shigaraki has a, has a very, very big ass leg brace. So, you know, he's going to have to, you know... B- uh, conduct a brawling style now instead of doing his more technical stuff. You know, he'd come out, do a stunner, swing a chair. You know, that's about it. That's such an obscure reference for the people in our chat. That's not even that obscure. <laughs> I guess. I guess that you mentioned stunner. Don't call it on the mind because I because I came in doing it anyway. Uh, so for the concerns that we kind of had that Shigaraki was not going to have his iconic look anymore. Well, he did get rid of most of his hands, but he still got one to put over his face. He just has a fancy fur coat now. I I like how even the characters are kind of like, I mean, he kind of needed it. <laughs> like, they're yeah. like, it's a miracle like, one survived. Like, <laughs> I thought this was going to be like really like an important thing where he's like his sister's hand was the only one who survived or it's or like maybe it's like oh his father's other hand or something like something where you're like oh someone's hand who's very like important to him is the only one to survive they're just like no no one survived he'll still have a hand over his face everybody like all right and the only thing that any of them has to say about it is toga is like yeah it's like, that's like his defining gimmick i mean he couldn't he wouldn't be shigaraki if he didn't go yeah you're gonna have you're gonna have Bray Wyatt come out and not do the Southern draw. I mean, there's what's what's the point? You're not gonna you're gonna make him less creepy. You gotta you gotta just play into that a little bit. Come on. I don't think Bray Wyatt speaks with a Southern draw very much. Anymore. Well, no, but the creepy part. I mean, well, yeah. <laughs> you got you got to do something creepy with them. I should say is his trademark. Uh, so Redestro basically goes into full on televangelist mode starts ranting uh, about, you know, putting his faith in Shigaraki now. Uh, And they say he says that uh, together with Spinner, they have devised a new name, uh, which is the Paranormal Liberation Front. And so there's a big introduction to all the important members of this new supergroup. And so... (laughs) What I like about this is that Shigaraki is just reading from like a, a little note that he's been given for the speech. And he's just like, oh, this is so stupid. <laughs> he's just not into it at all. It's like, yeah, OK, right. Sure. Whatever. Uh, yeah, we removed the villain part and expanded the concept of deliberation. <sighs> he's like he's clearly like skipping down the list of shit he doesn't want to read off. Uh, and he also says that. 
the other people up on stage along with them are the lieutenants who are each going to have teams that will suit their separate needs. So Dobby, Mr. Compress, Twice, Spinner, and Toga have now become like generals of this new uh, huge villain group, along with Redestro, Trumpet, Skeptic, and Fuzzy Ice Guy. Uh, I will say that this is a, a prime opportunity for me to uh, say that someone messaged me recently uh, saying that I shouldn't be calling him Eskimo Guy because Eskimo is a slur for the Inuit people. You're absolutely correct. Sorry. Wasn't thinking when I did that. Not going to do it anymore. I'll either learn his name or just say Fuzzy Ice Guy from now on. It's pretty easy to just say Fuzzy Ice Guy. Do we know the pronouns for the ice character? No. Because we see them now without the hood up. And look, it could still be a guy. But it's a very it's a more effeminate face than mm-hmm. maybe what we were led to believe before. When we just saw like glowing eyes and darkness. I feel like, but right, right, right. Um, so the kind of default is like, oh, that's a good, that's a dude, right? Yeah, so it could, it could be, it could be something else. Um, yeah. I, I, I want to just note though, the best part of this is that twice his arms are both broken, so his entrance is to slide in on his knees on what must just be concrete. It must just be killing his knees to do this, and he gets distant. So, bravo to him for that. I love the pose that all of them are striking, because like even Dobby, who's trying to act casual, he's just like, "Yeah, I got my hands in my really tight leather pants. Look at how cool I am." But you know, Toga's striking this cute pose, and Mister Compress is acting like he's a magician, you know, taking his hat off and stuff. And over on the other side, there's the people who are from the MetaHuman Liberation Front. They're just like, oh, "Fucking kids, they're just go walking up." <laughs> Anyway, so Shigaraki immediately buries the promo he just was given uh, by saying, yeah, the, 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 the new name is who cares? Look, we're going to do whatever we want. <laughs> that's, that's what I want to say. I hope that's also an invitation for us to do the same because the League of Villains is a great name. The Paranormal really... Liberation Front sounds stupid and just ridiculous. I'm going to call I, I will call the OG villains the league of villains and then the larger group that they have under them the paralarmal front sure league of villains much simpler i like how how everyone's trying to shit on the league of villains i'm like no that's a great name it this is a shonen manga fuck you (laughs) anyway there is a huge audience out there for them to address while this is going on and among the people that we see out there are gigantomachia and then a little bit later hawks who uh, has shown up for the proceedings. And we see that before this huge uh, news, uh, basically, this huge press conference, basically, uh, that he met up with Dobby ahead of time, showed him this duffel bag, which apparently has best genus body inside of it. Uh, to which Dobby is like, oh, well, whether or not this is actually best genus, it's clear that you killed someone. So, okay. Uh and of course, Hawks is looking around because he's, you know, this double agent. And he's looking at like, wow, this is this is really bad because now they've got this huge army with them. They might have high end Nomu working for them. They've got all these companies that can help them with their information network and stuff. So even among this society filled with heroes, Shigaraki could possibly be on par with them or possibly be even more powerful now. So things are looking bad. 
they villains leave this press conference kind of thing afterwards. Uh, Redestro is basically a, an, an ass kisser now. Uh, you know, Redestro's trying to be like, oh, do you want something to drink? And Shigaraki's like, get lost. And he's like, yes, let us get lost, trumpet. <laughs> he's immediately so pathetic. I love that he does it in his giant, like, Dr. Robotnik <laughs> crab, like, <laughs> crab suit seat. Zoom. <laughs> Uh, Shigaraki, however, is still pretty fucked up from the battle, so he collapses as soon as they, the guy leaves. Uh, the doctor contacts him and uh, is like, well, you've got kind of a shitty new name, but it's better than League of Villains. No, it's not. Uh, and Shigaraki, of course, replies with, hey, I tamed Gigantomachia, so you wanted, that's how you wanted, what you wanted me to do. That was your test, right? I did it. So the doctor is like, mm, well, all right. I will grant you power if that is what you desire. However, there's one final little task before that. You need to bring me something. Hmm. We see Hawks out kind of mingling a little bit with the crowd before he's approached by Dobby, who says, uh, he doesn't say, but uh, it seems as though he's going to finally introduce him to the rest of the league. Uh, And Hawks is thinking to himself, they're still their backer in the shadows, and I've got to figure out exa- everything that's going on here. And if I'm not fast in doing this, then all of Japan is done for. So the implication or the kind of sense of foreboding that I get from the end of this chapter, I believe, is we're meant to think that the Doctor has caught on to the idea of what's going on with Hawks and that Hawks might be in trouble. But uh, we'll see. Uh it could very well be something completely unrelated. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like this chapter a lot. I like the, the little small details. Uh, I do disagree about the name. Uh, as as you mentioned in the chapter, that like League of Villains is a terrible name. And I was like, no, oftentimes the simplest names are the best. You know, like the Shield, the Bar, the Mexicools, just those <laughs> iconic <laughs> names that kind of stick with you. Uh, and I think League of Villains is right alongside that. Uh, but I do just like that we do feel this really kind of big status quo shift after that arc. Mm-hmm. Um, it's cool to see like, oh, like the art, like we, we kind of have seen the League of Villains succeed and become more intimidating before when they managed to like get the big one over on uh, Overhaul and that yeah. like big triumph. But this feels obviously larger because now they have an army. And I, I do really appreciate how the art like shows how intimidating this army feels when they have this big wide shot. And you can see like all these people, but you see Gigantomachia in there too. Yeah. And we know how huge he is. And he's still kind of seen small because this this legion of people just like spreads outwards. Yeah. Um I do like I how mean, recall that the the Metahuman Liberation Front there that entire city was under their control and loyal to them. So there's got to be thousands of people that are part of this group. Yeah. And I do like how we're going to, you know, repurpose a little bit of like, like Redestro is going to stay around and I'm kind of curious to see what these teams are. Um, I'm going to hold off, I guess, on having any strong opinions for like, and these nine will be my generals. And I'm like, I don't even the ice character doesn't even have a name to this point. <laughs> like, yes, they do. Do they? Uh, yeah, it's I, I keep on forgetting it. 
but they do have a name. Oh, it's also Mexicools. <laughs> Mexicold. <laughs> <laughs> Is it getting? Uh, okay, everyone's saying it's getting. Uh, regardless, those characters over there are the ones who are, it's like, okay, we could do potentially more with those in the future. I would love it if you just actually kind of did it with Mr. Compressed Spinner like you kind of seemed like you were going to earlier. Because the other three, we've got it. Like, they're they're iconic now. They're they're great characters. Uh, you could even start separating them from each other, and I think each of them can kind of hold their own. But I'm like, if a team shows up and it's like Mr. Compressed, like four other characters, like, am I meant to have the same level of care is that like I want to actually get invested in those two characters as well, and it's like mm. here's three other ones we'll have to invest some time into as well. I am wondering because uh, if we if we go off of, if we're going to keep on entertaining the theory that uh, Dobby has some relation to the Todoroki family, then hey, why not get? You know, if you look at them, they've got light colored hair and they've got ice powers. So what about the other side of that family? So. It's going to turn out that Dobby and Gen are like long lost twins or some shit like that. You know what? I would be shocked. <laughs> well, long lost twins. So it's like another one of All Might's kids. Or yeah. All, all, yeah, All Might. Okay. He, he, he's this guy, he's just knocking these terrible kids out. You know, Endeavor's like, yes, finally. I can tell through, you know, genetic testing that this zygote has both the fire and ice powers oh damn it it turned into two kids with the, where each of them had one throw both of them in the garbage yeah <laughs> oh, jeez. i'm a really bad bad dad bad dad <laughs> i'm the worst dad that's ever been in television i'm like well hold on good sir we have to get to food wars <laughs> food wars le dessert part three le futur so uh I have read about five pages of this chapter, so we're going to do a live reading. And uh, for maximum effect, once we get a little bit into it, you should uh, start uh, playing Tears for Fears. Uh, Everybody wants to rule the world because this is a what happened to everyone 10 years later uh, kind of chapter. Seemingly, Uh, Nick, you you missed very little. (laughs) I'll tell you that. Cool. There were a few things that I there, I literally got like three pages into, and this person did this before I was like, wait a second. <laughs> All right. To start things off with, Soma's at an airport. He's apparently flying back to Totsuki, but he gets stopped by the TSA. Oh, no, because he's got a chef's knife. And, he's, and the guy's like, what are you doing with this knife? And I'm like, Soma, check your fucking bags. But fortunately, there's another TSA agent who stops the one who's harassing Soma. And he's like, oh, you said that you were like some sort of a foodie before. But it sounds like you're just a big talker if you don't recognize Chef Soma. It's like, OK. Anyway, Soma's older now and he wears jeans and a T-shirt because he's all cool and fit and hot, I guess. Is this the same way the last chapter of Ice Shield 21 star? Was he also going through an airport? No. Where was he going through? He was going through something really quick. He was a, he was arriving at college. But he st- I think he started at an airport. He he might have. Cuz I think he I think he was doing a, Did he do like special training in the US or I something think, I think like it was that something and then like that. Back. I vaguely recall him running through an airport and I'm like I want every manga to end now every with the manga. characters going through an airport. I guess I think that you're actually right. Yeah, he's he gets back from his special training 
and then he's go he goes to the same school as Monta and Karita and stuff. Yeah. And then it turns out that some of the, the schools that the guys have gone to are way more stacked than others. <laughs> They're like, oh, this is disgusting. The one team that's like Aegon, Haruma, fucking. <laughs> and then there's like the like Gao joined like Musashi's construction organization and stuff. And <laughs> anyway, so another time skip. Chris, you know what that means? All the girls got haircuts again. <laughs> I if you had given me money, I would have been based just off the first chapter. I'd have been like, Oh, Alice became the Dean because that is clearly Alice's haircut. Yeah. But in addition, she also kind of has the Valley girl thing where she's like, Oh, you never change. And I was yeah. like, I was like, Oh, Alice is moving up in the world. I, s- I literally saw that shot of Arena and I was just like, is that Alice or is that Arena? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, she's she apparently is like all right. I guess you're you're gonna you're, you're I guess Soma's coming home. All right, the divine tongue will accept your challenge. See you then. And then Hisako is there, and she's like, all right, I'll contact the usuals. And she gets out her iPad and sends a message to all of our favorite characters and also Yoshino. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so it's like. I can't actually do that song. So, what, Ishiki, what song were you going for? Uh, Tears for Fears. Everybody wants to rule the world. Oh, I thought you montage. were doing. Uh, oh, in my mind, I was like, is he doing uh, Running Down a Dream from Tom Petty? And I was like, that, I guess, fits these. No. Uh, so Nick, let's just do an entire. Let's just try to pantomime songs with our tongues or acapella songs with our tongues for a moment. Oh, okay. Um, hang on. You do uh, "Party Rock" by LMFAO. Boo 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 boo. Not gonna lie, it's pretty impressive. You're lucky that you actually said a song that I could do. I'm not going to name one for you. I don't. I can't think of what song. Right. So, now. Something happened on the way to heaven by Phil Collins. All right, there, Nick. I'm sure it's. I've never heard it. Oh, okay. It's a great song. Uh, I'm not going to go through all of these. There's too many characters in this manga in general. Okay. Here are a few weird combinations. However, Megumi is teaming up with Kino Kuni. I guess. Azon teamed up with Mito to do some huge conglomeration thing. And also Yoshino's there. And also people from the Polaris storm, including Ibusaki and Ryoko, apparently are consultants for them, but weren't as important as Yoshino to show up in this. Yoshino must rank high in some popularity poll because you put those three characters there and you're like, interesting. And then it's like, these three started a joint business. I'm like, all right, I can understand Azon. I can kind of understand Akumi. Why is Yoshino part of this like three person super Kalila? <laughs> this person who never got an on screen one on one Shokugeki who we saw compete in like the Autumn Fall Classic and that was it. Like, doesn't really say she was anything one of here either. Doesn't really. No, like, she literally is just going. Well, oh, no, wait. She's got. Oh, she's, got, she's telling them to be nice. Yeah. Right. But I'm like, what's her role? in this organization like what is it that she brings to this team yeah uh hayama became a professor at sotsuki which 
makes sense to me. You know, she had a very important relationship with one of the professors there. So, sure. Uh, then the Aldini brothers are uh, working together and are famous. Oh, oh, no, Nick. I would like to note, they are also, quote, equally skilled as chefs. And I was like, oh, go eat my entire dick. I also want to note that apparently Kuga owns five Chinese restaurants and is the head chef of all of them. How? Well, <laughs> it's like head only is, is each of them open one day of the week? Well, the head <laughs> chefs don't always actually work at the restaurant okay. they're at. It five's still ludicrous, but it is one of those things where it's like the head chef wouldn't be there, but there'd still be like a number two. So the head chef's just in on certain days. Also, there's a whole thing where, like, they get a message from uh, Hisako and they're like, oh, we should go back to Japan then. And apparently their parents are there and his and their father is like, it looks like I don't need to worry about Takumi anymore because he went to Tosuki Institute and found friends who are very good for him. He's still only hanging out with his brother all the time, though. <laughs> I also it because I was just so used to the one panel here's the next character like motif they were going for. I sat there for a little bit without reading the dialogue. And I was like, who the fuck are these two old fucks? Like, I, said, I, was, I was like, is this one of the, Any of the students at Totsuki having been held back for 15 years? <laughs> um, a whole bunch of the members of the previous council of 10 are super famous chefs. It's kind of disappointing to just see Rindo and Sukasa just lumped in with the others. Like, that's the only note that is about them. It's like, they're famous chefs, and they're now currently guest judges at at the Hell Camps. Like, okay. I, Nothing else? All I, right. I guess I appreciate that Megishima is the only character who actually looks like he's gotten older. Every other character looks like they just got maybe a little taller, and that was it. But Megashima, I mean, I'll be honest, he's not a good-looking 27, but he does look older now. Are you talking about, you're talking about headband guy? Yeah. Oh, okay, if you was, say so. Yeah, it was, it was the guy who used to have, like, the like the beanie hat with, like, Oh, right, because so he, he actually dresses slightly more maturely. Gotcha, okay. And he just has more age in the face. Uh, Joe Ichiro, revitalizing, traveling chef. Rumor is he used to have his own restaurant, but he's since passed on to his son. The truth is not public knowledge. Uh, Alice now looks exactly like Arina. They swapped heads, Chris. They just swapped scalps. Uh, she has been appointed to the position of site manager at Nakiri International. She spends her days immersed in researching ways to make high-level molecular gastro... Okay, so she's rich and doesn't do anything. Kurakiba. Well, no, hold on. To be fair... Her whole thing is that she's trying to make her technology available and more accessible for poor okay. places. And I was like, that's actually that's like a very cool thing for her to do where she's like, I'm super interested in, in food technology, but I'm also going to attempt to make it a tool that everyone can use as opposed to the rich and wealthy elite. Mm. So I do, uh, I do like that. Kurokiba is apparently her butler now. Uh-huh. Um. He sa- it says that he does marine biology and stuff, but it says primarily he continues to serve as Alice's reliable aide. Yeah, I, I I like it. It's what I think he would have done, but I do like... I, I, I appreciate that not every character is just they became a chef. Yeah. Because uh, his is like, oh, he's actually like very committed into doing like marine biology and advocate for climate change and safer ways of like 
fishing without damaging the environment. I'm like, okay, cool. Like these these people are clearly working things out that are like helpful to the planet overall. Uh, I saw he's a teacher at Totsuki. All of them are gathered at a big Nakiri family luncheon. Uh, and even some of the minor members of the Nakiri family are there. Um, da, 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 da. Erina shows up. And then several days later, she goes to the Yukihira family restaurant, goes inside. There is an old guy there. And uh, he's... It, this is uh oh oh it's uh uh Soma's granddad uh uh b- the mom the, the mom mom's, mom's father. father right and so he's like I just got a call from the grandkid and apparently he gets a whole this is what he's doing now thing even though we've seen him maybe like once in the entire series but okay right. uh, <laughs> he heads out because he's going on a trip and he says. You're a sweet young lady to continue accommodating that boy whenever he's got some new recipe idea in his head, but don't feel like you're obligated to. If it's a pain in the tush, make sure to tell him so. Okay. Uh, and Arian's like, no, it's my duty to support you know, him as, as dean of the Institute. But is that really all it is? Back when we were both still third years, I found the note you left saying you were suddenly going abroad, and I was absolutely infuriated. I think I know na- I know why that was. I always thought you'd be there with me, cooking, keeping wherever we wanted, and instead you left without word to anyone, not even me. To me, that was dot dot dot. Okay, so I do I do like the focus on that aspect of it. Is like, hey, I thought that you know we were like eternal rivals, but then you just fucked off somewhere. What the hell, man? So not cool, bro. Yeah. Uh, Soma thinks back to what. Uh, Sahi had said to him, the trick to being a better chef is finding someone who means so much to you. You want to give them the best food you've ever made. Uh, flashback to when he was a kid, Tamako and Joitro talking, uh, sharing food and stuff. Soma makes a dish and he's like, hey, is this better than daddy's? And Tamako's just like, eh, daddy's is still the better one. Thanks. But, you know, he's... Uh, and then apparently that was where he started challenging his father to cooking contests, which is kind of sweet. Then he came across his mom. Oh, no, she was sick with plot disease uh, and her heart was bad. Uh, and uh, she had just had no symptoms un- up until that sudden collapse. So there was, you know, no means of detecting it to treat it from that point. Uh, and she died just a month later. And that left, you know, someone, his father alone. Uh, but after that. Soma kept on challenging his dad to cooking contests. Joey True accommodated him. Every time I challenged dad, it was because I wanted to beat him as a chef. Back when I was a little kid, I think there was probably more to it than just that. Someone you want to cook more for more than anyone else. Someone special. Someone you want to dedicate the best food you've ever made to forever. I think that's special someone. Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> oh, manga. Soma gets his introduction of what he's been up to. He graduated from Totsuki despite missing class a lot. Sure he did. Uh, <laughs> as he opens the restaurant only on an irregular schedule amongst the foodies of the world the chance of taste some of Shesuma's food cooking is fast turning into a mark of prestige he greets Arina Arina is the dean full time she's a leader uh, championing new innovative outlooks on traditional cuisine and pushing the Tosuki brand further than higher that's ever been good for you uh, so Arina Thinks to herself as Soma opens up his briefcase, it's strange. Somewhere along the line, I've come to look forward to tasting your dishes, to look forward to seeing you. And she's blushing. 
Selma gets started, says, I'm going to make you admit that this is good. What would you like? And he's like, whatever, one of, the, one of the chef's specials. Oh, no, you fool. Uh, more people are start arriving at the restaurant. Um, it's basically the usual crowd you would expect to see at one of Soma's Shokugeki's because there's Megami. There's a bunch of people from Polaris Storm. Ibasaki showed up. Why? <laughs> had to, Nick. This is his big send off. It's, you know, the Aldini brothers there. Hayama's there. Um it looks like, yeah, Alice and Hisako and Kuriki Ball show up as well. Uh, <laughs> Soma makes squid legs and peanut butter marinade and coffee mixed with sweet and sour habanero pork and syrup and mint sauce. They taste it. Oh, no. <laughs> King Squid molests everyone. Gets them all. Everyone. Gets them all. All of them in a huge two-page spread of ecchi. Um, And all of them say, that's disgusting. Uh, and Aaron is like, what the hell's wrong with you? And someone's like, yes, I continually reach new levels of grossness. And Aaron just kind of is like, oh, you're such a clown and smiles at him. And Soma says, happy to serve. But there, this time I swear, this is the just they'll make you say it's good. Dig in. And... <laughs> Fuck's sake! <laughs> no, my manga will not have a definitive conclusion. You can give me as many endings as I ask for and then some, but no, I will continuously not leave the finals. <laughs> Fuck's sake. Fucking tease. All right. Eden Zero, Chris. <laughs> it's, it's interesting that we had an actual ending and then we got three chapters of epilogues to arrive at the same place where there's a very open ended like we still haven't resolved the main I guess this was Sashi. so I forget how actually long it's supposed to be I guess it's probably like five years or seven years or something like that because I'm in their mid-20s yeah. so it was like nine years after the very conclusion uh, so they're because they're like all ten years older than they were at the start of the series so, so it's been a while since uh these characters have been around and mm. almost everything's kind of addressed where it's like these characters have gone on to these things. They show that uh, apparently all the rifts in the, the Kiri family have been mended because yeah. Asahi is a full Nikiri. He actually has like a father son relationship with uh, Azami. Uh, yeah. All these characters have kind of risen to like the tops of their fields uh, several of them have restaurants or growing businesses or these incredible things. Yeah. Ishiki's issues with his family were addressed because he was actually able to go out on his own and stuff. So. so apparently the only thing that could not be resolved in those 10 years or so was whether or not Erina actually loved Soma or not. Or like, <laughs> if Soma ever actually got Erina to admit that the dish that he made for her was delicious. Like it's sweet to see the relationship between them be so close that, you know, they really do look forward to seeing each other and stuff that kind of dropped the rivalry aspect of their relationship for one of more companionship. And also that's it got to the point where it's like, OK, someone realizes that the person that he is important to him that he wants to make food, good food for is Arena. Mm -hmm. That's good, too. Um. Uh, I guess all the stuff that Soma started off with of this is what I want to accomplish, he achieved. But 
it's really weird that in chapter fucking three, I think it was, they, they set up like this is kind of, you know, the big thing for some. He's going to make Erina admit that the dish that he makes for her is delicious. Did she, though? And it like ends that way like four times. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just I'm surprised they didn't like because it's weird seeing everyone 10 years older and it's her still like, why am I at this restaurant? What am I actually here as the dean or is there something different? I'm like, look, that kind of wishy-wash shit made sense when you were like 14 and you didn't really know. But when you're mm. goddamn like middle-aged almost, you need to stop being like, oh, I guess I probably dig the dude. <laughs> I think that by the time that you're 25 and you've been around a person for a decade, your thoughts on them will at least mature a little bit. If this took place like while they were even college age, I think that it would make more sense. Mm. There's a big difference between being in your early 20s and being in your mid 20s in terms of that level of emotional maturity. And it's a little bit weird to see that. Like, I mean, when we caught up with the cast of bleach 10 years later, they were all just like, yeah, we're fucking married. And you know, moved on. They were all oh, pretty well, except for Chad, who was a boxer. <laughs> and Ishida, who is off at a hospital, but he's there with them in spirit. Cause he's watching the match on his phone. <laughs> um, I, I, like, look, as far as like at blog chapters go, it's not the worst. Uh, no. and, and, and honestly, I don't think there's any, like, Here's where this character is now. That's like, what the fuck? Why had Matt become an astronaut? Like, there's there's no. nothing along those lines. But because um, they're all still related to cooking, so. <laughs> but a lot of them do make sense, and you're like, oh, okay, that's kind of cool. I do dig that. Like, there's there's moments where like, okay, cool things there. But at the same time, also like when you take the lead dessert trio, you're like, so it gave us Soma's mom established that a zombie was or uh, Asahi was a zombie's kid and then this chapter and I'm like I don't know if either of those three things really enriched Food Wars ending to me like I kind of think mm-hmm. the, the previous ending stood enough on its own no and it, it's disappointing to see the amount of focus on characters that Either one, we knew nothing about ahead of time and thus had no reason to care about them or two were just really ineffective villains. Uh, like there were so many characters that I wanted to actually know more about, you know, with uh, Megami, with Payama, Kurakiba, Alice. We could have followed up on any of them after they had been neglected for so long uh, in the second half of this entire series. And instead, they just get like, yeah, they had a successful career. So, Megami was like the third most important character in the series, and she gets treated as, you know, with the. I I, I was very glad that I didn't bother raising my expectations at all because Megumi gets such a shit fucking like, and she's successful. And she occasionally hangs out with Kinokuni and other girl who I don't remember. And I was like. It's one of the. It's one of the. uh, She was one of the alumnus of the school. So. Yeah. I was just like sure whatever i, I, mean, I so wish, I wish she, she like didn't a... even get the thing that takumi got which was her pair you know with his parents being like i guess he really learned something at the school like <laughs> like I, I really wish there was just a small note at the bottom it's like 
Megumi never won another important Shokugeki in her life or something like that. I'm just like, Megumi had a very successful career as a chef, but anytime anyone challenged her to anything, she would lose. (laughs) She would try her best, though. She always earned their respect, but uh, no, she never really won. Even with the one time that a little kid was just being a dick and challenged her because he didn't like vegetables, uh, she lost to him, but she really impressed him. That was was her fault for challenging him to a lollipop contest, because kids know candy and she doesn't. Anyway, Eden Zero. Let's talk Eden Zero, Nick. Chapter 58, Silent Reunion. So mm. last time we got the big revelation about Hamora's mom being uh, Madame Kerr and I. Yep. And the, the mission that Valkyrie is going to go off to find her. And that's where we pick up as Valkyrie has arrived on the Sun Jewel planet. Uh, and she's found Kerr and I, I guess. Uh, yep. At this point, she's not Madame. Uh, she nope. found Kerr and I in the labor district. She has one of those collars around her neck. And uh, she's like, ah, I guess you you kind of in some trouble here. Like she's she got in trouble. She got into some debt. Now she has to pay it off. Uh, she they they bring in, I think, Paul's his name. The guy yes. with the steal ability. Yes. She's like, I could just steal the collar off of you. And she's like, no, I can't. I can't do that because well first they establish that he doesn't he also has a collar and he yeah. doesn't take it off his neck because apparently some of the ore that gets transported is occasionally super ore that's incredibly valuable to stuff called lacrima so they're like mm-hmm. you know he keeps it on so i guess he can steal it when it comes about basically it's an excuse for him to stick around in the labor district and make you know a bunch of money off of this uh this other ore that doesn't immediately get transported when uh, it's mined yeah uh, and since he can just take the collar off anytime he wants to he's essentially not a prisoner here yeah so he's uh, a miner of his own accord basically car and i says that she's like I can't accept that offer. I left home to make money. I dreamed I was going to make, you know, I was going to be rich. And I got into a tremendous amount of debt. And if I don't pay it back, then they're going to go after Hermora. And Valkyrie's like, all right, fine. What about if I take your collar? So that's the deal they sort of set up. And she's like, I'll take your collar in place of you because it would be. A disgrace for me as one of the demon lords or demon king's shining stars if I didn't let you return home without accomplishing, you know, what I came here for. So she takes the collar and Kerr and I goes off. Or so we think. Two years later, uh, it turns out she didn't go back to Hamora. Uh, Paul gets news that apparently she married the Baron who's the leader of the planet, murdered him. Seized all the power, calls herself Madame Kerr and I, and in addition, we find out she immediately set all the like the cave monsters in on the city to kind of encourage mm. everybody to start killing them so that they'd make more ore. Yeah. And it's like, I do like the, the little conversation because Paul's telling her this and Valkyrie's like, what happened to her to make her so evil? And Paul's like, well, she was the kind of person to get herself really heavily in debt because she kept on playing at a casino, so... Nothing happened. She was just always that way. <laughs> and it is my hope that that's what they stick with. That it's like, oh, Madame Kerr and I, she's just a bad parent who is never going to care about her kid or anything like that. I do like that seeming angle they're going with here. 
Uh, so all these monsters are coming and attacking town, and uh, they are definitely murdering people. They're like just being trampled and devoured by these things. Uh, Valkyrie's like, ah, shit, she she agitated all of them, so I'm gonna stand up. Uh, she activates like this super power move where she summons like hundreds of the Aether swords that Homura uses and like mm-hmm. surrounds herself with them. And she's like, this, I was called the Sword of Edens, and now you'll see why. And we get like a lot of panels of just action. <laughs> she is, she's charging into these waves of of, of monsters. Uh, we get like a single cut to of Madame Kuranai as all the ore is getting transported over to her. And she's like, oh, look at all this metal in just one fight. See, you prisoners can do it if you put your minds to it. Such you know, an like, asshole. <laughs> such a shitty thing. Uh, and we see uh, things aren't going great for Valkyrie. Uh, one of the monsters rips her arm shot. Yeah. straight off. Uh, she's being ripped to pieces. And uh, there's a single moment where like the dust is kind of settling, but she's down on one knee. And she thinks to herself about Homura. And Homura was like, I love my mentor. And uh, Valkyrie thinks to herself, come to think of it, I never did say it, did I? I never told you. I love you too. And we cut back to the present day as Hamora sees the scene of Valkyrie's corpse, uh, which definitely seems to actually be dead because there's a chunk of her skull missing, like the skin starting to peel off. Um, I don't think she's coming back. I don't know. She might. I, I, there may it be, is a hero series. I was going to say, right? there, there may be a time mage here who's just like, I'll go well. back in time. Or I guess there's like three robotics experts on the ship. Right, right. So potentially we'll see. they could there. But Hamora uh, is very sad because her teacher died protecting everybody in town in a big fight. I really like the ending of this chapter. The bike... It's, you know, whatever for the first two thirds of it, because you know where it's going and it's not exactly as if, you know, there's anything interesting going on that, that happens before that. You know, Kurt and I seemingly just lied to Valkyrie about her situation and what she was going to do and manipulate her way out of having to pay off her own debt so that then she could go be a piece of shit. Um, I also agree. I hope that that's just the version of events that we stick with. It doesn't turn out. Oh, no, there was something else. Uh, um and uh, I really but the last five pages of this series where we see Valkyrie making this huge stand against all these monsters uh, and then getting taken down and then falling to one knee with her sword in the ground. And then we see the f- scene fade from past to present. And then as it fades in, we see Homura approaching this like statue uh, of her own body. And then she cries when she sees her. And uh, I took a look back. Uh, at the previous chapter where they go to see Zhao uh, Mei. And uh, she never says when, when, you know, she says this is where you'll find your master. She never says she's alive. Uh, I thought there was a scene where we saw her in the labor district before, but I'm, I'm probably just misremembering. Or well, maybe it was uh, meant to be a flashback to show that she was there at one point. Right. Could be. But, uh, you know, but she says, like, you know, she, she says, you'll find her there. That's it. Uh, and then, of course, she goes on to talk about mother and uh, how she can grant any wish. And all of the characters, you know, say their shitty things that they want to have, you know, as I want to be rich. I want to be a famous beekeeper. I want fish. 
Uh, and Homura doesn't say anything at that point. So I do wonder about the possibility that her wish would be to bring Valkyrie back to life. However, there is, of course, the thing there are, of course, a couple of things. Uh, for one, this is a hero series and nobody ever seems to say no. Nobody ever seemed to stay dead in fairy tale. Uh, you know, Makarov died like four times, but no, he didn't, you know. Um, and also there is the issue of, well, they said that the Eden Zero needs all four of the androids in order for it to be fully operational. And if that doesn't happen, then presumably they can't go and find Mother. So... There could very well be some sort of workaround for that. Uh, maybe they're if they just bring Valkyrie's body with them, they can do something with it to restore the full functionality of the ship. I do wonder what the purpose of having Hamora on the team would be if there's just a stronger Hamora with them. So I wonder how they're going to deal with that. I think personally it would be a lot more interesting to just have Valkyrie stay dead for the foreseeable future, have that be something that adds to Mohomora's character motivation uh, and give her a more personal stake in this journey that uh, the crew is going on. Um, I really like this chapter, but uh, mostly just for the end. So I did want to note, I looked back to f- try to find a scene because it's a hero series. This arc was only like 10 chapters long. So right, far, right, so right. You had time. <laughs> uh, there was a scene. It was when they first arrive on the planet uh and we cut to the labor district and you see paul and he's like huh i knew she'd come here what do we do lady valkyrie and you see a a shot of valkyrie but it's in shadows from just like here down of like this Uh, essentially uh, uh, uh. so i guess he's just talking to the statue version right so that's that it it seems like this actually was the plan and i do kind of like that um i I do like that Hero seems to be moving in a direction that feels like the world has more consequence to it and has more weight to it. And I, I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, I, I think he's he's showing off some of his better tendencies recently and his weird fetishy stuff is happening a little less frequently. It still happens, but I can mm. appreciate that it feels like his his better strengths are showing more frequently now. Okay. I mean, you know, once they finish up with the Morris stuff, we're probably going to get, you know, Titty Planet, the planet of nipples. Or I, something, I want you know? I want the Rebecca arc where she still doesn't do anything and, <laughs> is, and just goes to six different costume changes. Uh, all right, let's move on to the new series that's running in Jump debuted this week. Mission Yozakura Family, which also I think the idea behind the because the M and Y are highlighted in this. So I think that it's supposed to be like my family. So mm. Uh, we actually first see something from the past as we find out later, but this uh, figure in a suit holding a girl with a streak in her hair saying, everything's all right. Mutsubi, no matter what happens from here on out, your big brother will protect you. Two page spread to start things off with one bunch of weird characters holding guns. Do do. And then we meet our main character, Tayo, who is this kid who is in high school. Some guys try and say, like, hey, you want to go and do, do some cool stuff? And he's like, I can't. And they're like, man, it's more difficult to get this guy to go agree to do stuff with you than like a cute girl, you know, because it's like they've been rejected on a date kind of thing. Mm. Uh, girl from the opening, Mutsumi, shows up and, uh, you know, they eat lunch together. 
And uh, she's kind of like, you know, scolding him a little bit for like, you know, why can't you ever, you know, like make friends with anyone? Uh, and we get you know, some narration. Basically, these two are childhood friends. Uh, Mutsumi is really popular. Tayo gets a lot of anxiety whenever uh, people try and get close to him for reasons that are explained later. And then we meet one of the teachers at the school, Hirokawa Sensei, who kind of seems to be really, really creepy on Mutsumi and getting him putting himself between uh, the two kids. Then we get a flashback from Tayo's perspective that explains why he is the way that he is. Uh, when he was a bit younger, uh, his family got in a car accident. He used to be a much more, much brighter, happier kid. And then all of his family died, his parents and his younger brother. And then we get um, basically the three pages that I think really uh, show the kind of potential that this series has because we see the funeral that happens after uh, where, you know, it's him and he's still got his his face is bandaged because he was in the car accident as well. And uh, he's there, you know, at the wake for his whole family, just kind of like staring in shock at stuff. And Mutsumi is there with him and she is crying and grieving as well. And she puts her hand on his and he's narrating. You learn when you when I learned two things. First, you learn what's important to you once it's gone and things that are important to you can be lost very easily and you get scared that if you get attached to something you might lose that too and he jerks his hand away from Utsumi because he just imagines her dying as well but she realizes what's going on and insistently puts her hand back on his and says it's okay i won't leave you and that part that part of this chapter is like okay you got me now basically because i think that that's very strong uh then things get weird. <laughs> Turns out that uh, Hirokawa Sensei is actually Mutsumi's brother, who has a very, very protective nature for his sister. And anyone who ever gets close to her, he threatens and beats them up until they promise to stay away from her forever. And he gets Tayo in a room and holds a knife to his throat and seems like he's just going to kill him. Uh, and or either that or just like threaten to keep him away. Who knows? But then a girl in a magical girl outfit shows up and then a flashbang goes off and they're gone. And then when Tayo wakes up later, Mutsumi is looking over him along with a bunch of weird looking people. They are her family. They're a family of spies, not the spy family from spy family, but a different spy family. What weird timing we have for this. <laughs> It's like they knew they snuck it in there. Very, very colorful characters uh, for supposed spies. Um, I like they... the guy with the bucket on his head. Just... Who I hope uh, goes into infiltration missions by just putting on <laughs> cosmetics over the bucket. So it's like a little mustache and like a wig, but it's still on top of the bucket. Doctor, we need you. He's just got like a stethoscope on the on the bucket head. <laughs> clang, clang, what? <laughs> like it's like it, famous uh, undersea explorer Jacques Brousteau, and it's him in like a scuba diving outfit, but you could still see the buckets on underneath in between. I'm like, fuck yeah. Turns out that the teacher is actually named Kyoichiro, uh, and he's part of this family. He is the most famous spy in the world. 
because apparently there's a spy magazine in this universe, which Tayo is shocked to discover. Uh, and they give him the lowdown, everything like they're a family of spies. They're, they have this, you know, big mansion that they live in because they make money from missions and stuff, mostly because Kyoichiro is so popular. Uh, they also established that Mutsumi is really cute, but she claims to not have any spy skills. But she seems to have a little bit of spy skills later because she can at least wield a knife. I don't know. I guess we'll find out more about that with time. Uh, Kyoichiro is the oldest brother of their family, but even he, despite being the most skilled, makes mistakes sometimes. And that was the thing that we saw at the very beginning of the series. Uh, there, he made a mistake, and as a result, Mutsumi got injured. The stress of the incident caused the gray streak in her hair to appear. Uh, and now his guilt has caused him to be incredibly overprotective of her and interferes in her everyday life. And recently he got a tip that someone close to Mutsumi, who's been close to her for many years, uh, is getting closer to her. So he had been disregarding Tayo up to this point because he was Mutsumi's childhood friend, but now he is like, nah, I gotta take that guy out. So they say, we're going to protect you from him because he's going to try and kill you because of his weird overprotective uh, psycho, psycho nature. Uh, we're going to beat him up until he's until he senses reason. But if you want to remain 100% safe, there is a way that we could get him to leave you alone, which is if you and Mutsumi get married. And Dio's like, what the fuck? What? What? And Magical Girl Girl says, if you marry into the Yozakura family, you'll be included in the only rule our family has, no killing among family. So if you put this ring on and, they, and you know, we've got this double banded cherry blossom ring because cherry blossom, Sakura, Yozakura. See, it all makes uh, sense. Yes. If you put this on, the marriage is established, you'll become a member of the family. And yeah, hey, you're already pretty close to each other. So if you do this, well, you're, you're good. You'll be safe. But Mutsumi's like, I couldn't do that. He's been traumatized. I can't, you know, I, I can't just presume to be that. Uh, so they have that conversation. Kyoichiro shows up on the couch in the room that they're in. And they're like, oh, shit, he's already here. And then we get a big fight scene, like long fight scene. Uh, when with like no jokes or anything like that. Which confused me on the exact genre and approach of this series. If it's going to be more action related, more comedy, what? Uh, and at the very end, when Mutsumi is the final line of defense uh, for Tayo, um, he Mutsumi basically is agreeing to uh, give up her entire life outside of the mansion and just let Kyojiro be as protective as he wants if he will leave Tayo alone. It will eliminate the problem for him because then they won't shoot him close to anyone. Tyre realizes this guy is like me. He has lost something important and he's scared to lose something important. But he is doing this the wrong way. He's making the person dear to him miserable. So you're doing it the wrong way. So he steps out and agrees to marry Mutsumi. There is one final obstacle he has to overcome because Kyotro uses his steel wire things to try and stop him from grabbing the ring. But he wrenches it out anyway and he puts the ring on and now they're family and so he's safe but we get narration at the end that says that uh well not narration but uh you know the magical girl says too bad there's no time to be down the dumb creature though because we need to teach him what it really means to protect mutsumi so 
Uh, I'm really interested in this series. I don't know exactly what's going to happen with it, but this told a very interesting story. Uh, I'm intrigued by the characters. I like that we have gotten little tidbits of the quirks, the fighting styles, and the characters of these weird family members of Mutsumis. I have no idea what the hell they're going to do, though. Uh, I don't know if Tayo is going to have to train to become a spy. I don't know if it's going to be more focused on the relationship, more focused on the comedy, more focused on the action. But there's a lot going on in this, and I really like the way that the artwork looks, too. So I'm interested to see what happens next. I did not read this uh, because I started to and then forgot. But flipping through it, it seems interesting. So I'll read it again and then uh, come with my thoughts next week. Uh, Beast Children, I have literally 20 seconds to say what I think about this. Hey, when are we going to fight Yukino's team? Oh, the first round. Did we get canceled? Guess so. So there you go. <laughs> oh, poor Beast Children. Yeah. Samurai 8, Chapter 15, Hachimaru's Calling. All right, so... There's a really weird moment at the beginning of this because Hachimaru's dad is dead now. So he wants an explanation of what the hell is going on. Uh, Hachimaru promises Dharma that he'll actually listen to everything he has to say this time because it's time to get serious. And Dharma like hooks in with their spinal cord extension thingies. And he's like, it's more convenient to explain it to you this way. And I'm like, yeah, but we still have to like get the explanation in real time. So... (laughs) It would be convenient if you could beam this into our brains. Yeah, like, so everybody who's listening, if you would like to open up your copy of Shonen Jump, there's a small piece of LSD in every issue. <laughs> Stick it underneath your tongue and you will experience this as well. Damn it, we're reading the digital versions. <laughs> They're like, oh, we'll just stick your tongue in the USB drive of whatever device <laughs> you're using. <laughs> There's a piece. There's a piece of LSD hidden in there too. I'm like, how many pieces of LSD did they hide around here? Jeez, this is a really expensive issue of the magazine. Also, very illegal. I don't think you can go into people's homes and plant LSD there. There's a lot of lore and exposition that establishes that Hachimaru is the key that could either destroy the galaxy or protect the galaxy because there are two boxes that all the samurai keys can open. Hooray! That's that's all you need to take from that. We're going to move past it because there's so much you know, fucking dense text here and we've already been talking for a while. Anne is, is going to go with Hachimaru uh, and uh, so she's like, okay. Uh, she goes up to Hachimaru and uh, she says this. Hachimaru gets kind of serious and he does. He acts pretty cool in this uh, scene. Shows that he's had to do a lot of maturing really quickly. Uh, he says, you know, I used to think that my life up until I got the samurai powers was pathetic. That's why I, I lied about it and I uh, hid from you. But after all the stuff that my dad said earlier, I realized that I actually had a good life because we were happy together. And I remember you know, the more I remember that, the more I realize it's true. And I know that I'm just some scrawny little kid, but I promise I will protect you. And I promise that that's not a lie. And, Anne says, I, I get you. And, you know, make sure you listen to others until the very end from now on and keep on protecting me. That's really nice. Uh-huh. They're going on a quest together. The huge base that they're in is also a spaceship. Woo. We're going to space. All right. All right, chapter. It's okay. Yeah, uh, they they make a note that like uh, Ada had mentioned the souvenir. The souvenir is the fact that the moon he smashed through was just going to collide with the planet, and 
pretty much destroy everyone. So they're like, we have to save this planet first. And I'm like, cool. Do we though? There's I so don't many. know the name of this planet. Yeah. All right. Moving on. We never learn. All right. Let's talk about we never learn. Question 124. Sometimes the genius's transformation becomes a great, le- uh, great leap in a pizza bat. So this chapter is all about Uega and Ogata as they're mm-hmm. both studying. And uh-huh. uh, he's uh, he's teaching her, you know, different verb conjugations. And uh, he's like, yep, that's going to be a useful lesson. And he turns and looks at her. And we see like a full. Wait a minute! You look page. different. I've only just realized this. <laughs> she sees a full page. Basically, we see a full page spread of her. Uh, that's her being like, "Oh, is something wrong?" And he's like, "No, it's just. Oh, it feels like you changed something about yourself. You look different somehow." Yeah, and uh, he's like, "Oh, I, you changed your hairstyle." And she's like, "Mm-hmm. I have better visibility now when I study because my hair will get in the way less." Ah. But that's only 12.5% correct about the things that have changed. She's like, what? She's like, well, you only got 12.5% of it right. Can you guess the other 87.5%? He's like, At which point, I would have just been like, come on, we got to study. Come on. <laughs> that's where I'm just I'm naming shit. I'm just like, your eyes, uh, feet. Uh, uh, you got a hip replaced. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> your appendix removed. <laughs> She's like, yes, now I have less. You only have eight toes. <laughs> I got a third kidney, and now I can study extra hard. Because <laughs> uh, everything that she has, basically, is something that uh, seemingly makes her cuter, but is also something she did to make studying better for herself. So Uega's like, oh, man, I'm not good at guessing stuff, but uh, I'll do this. I got this one in the bag. So... You know, he's following her around, sees all these new places. He's trying to think, like, oh, you know, I wonder well, something's different about her. But I have to figure out exactly what's kind of different about her. And he he's, he seems glad because she seems a lot more excited. She seems a lot more kind of, like, um, filled with kind of a joy that's visible to her, smiling a lot more. And he's like, ah, oh, I'm glad she's doing better. And she, like... They, I feel like there's, they can't go a chapter without one of these jokes. She like, no, like gets close towards him, like shuffles close, and she's like, "Hey, you wake up. let's do it." And of course, you're like, "What?" And then she like points behind, and it's like, "Hey, let's pound mochi." <laughs> she's like, "What? <laughs> Why would you say it like that?" <laughs> Best written series in jump, just as uh, Galeoff's insane. Uh, so she's like, yeah, it's always been a dream of mine to pound mochi together with somebody. I'll bet it has been. (laughs) And he's like, oh, hey, uh, now that she's so close, I can kind of smell something. What's that scent? It's kind of citrusy. Are you wearing perfume? She's like, yes, I am. You're 25% correct now. And the aroma is supposed to have a relaxing effect that supports, uh, memory retention. So he's like, oh, okay, cool. Interesting. So, uh, and, uh, she's like, oh, you, you, on i got mixed up there basically she just says yeah i'll 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 wear whenever we see each other but i can't actually see where she asks him anything she says it's not see yeah she just says if you like it i'll keep wearing it essentially um so they they go to do the whole mochi pounding thing and uh She's not very good at it because she's not very strong. She almost like falls like over when she tries to pick up the hammer. So uh goes like, Oh, or you want me to take over? She's like, No, but what if we do it together? 
So they do it together, and they're very happy. There's a joke about that. Her tits bouncing up and down a lot in her What her kind coat. of coat is Ogata wearing? Because uh, there are, like, balloons bouncing up and down. So this coat that she's wearing mm-hmm. somehow perfectly conforms to her titties and yet does not restrict their movement at all. See, here's the thing, Nick, and this is actually a very subtle thing I've slowly picked up on over the course of the series. Subtle, okay. Yeah, uh, you uh, Ogato right now is not actually wearing clothes. She's one of those like <laughs> artists who like paints clothing on themselves and does like real life comic books or one of those things. And you're like, wow, this is incredible. I can't believe someone painted myself that way. And uh, that explains why her breasts are bouncing so much because she's not actually wearing a bra or anything right now. Uh, and that's why no clothing restricts it, and uh, her breasts go boinga boinga like that. All right, uh, makes sense to me. He knows that she's wearing nail polish. Boom, thirty-seven point five percent correct, and she's wearing blue nail polish, and she's like, blue supports increased concentration, so it's purely a rational choice to keep blue in my vision while studying at all time. And I'm like, is that true? Should I be wearing blue nail polish? Should Obviously, I, should I paint my hand blue? And I'm like, see, now I'll always be studying and retention which is a word now i think it's a word right yes right. retentioning is a, is a word chris you're right yeah all right there we go so he's like huh even having blue in my focus doesn't help me focus at all so he wakes but, uh, but those titties sure did yeah, he's <laughs> like but them bazongas those really help so he's like oh cool you know i'm all warmed up now uh, and she's like, yeah, it really was a workout. So she takes off her skirt and then she's like, her scarf. I don't know if it sounds like I <laughs> she was wearing skirt. a skirt around her neck. <laughs> How do clothes work? I've forgotten from all of this blue nail polish. <laughs> she's like, oh, it turns out blue nail polish also tells you which you wear your clothes upside down. You wear shoes on your head and hats <laughs> on your feet. Uh, but she's like, hey, if you don't wipe off your sweat, you could get chilled. And he sees that she's wearing a little necklace uh, right above her cleavage. It's like a half cleavage shot. But thankfully, Eureka's like, necklace! So he uh, he seems to avoid the, the problem there. She's like, yep, you've now reached 50%. This is a magnetic necklace that is supposed to help relieve shoulder tension from studying. And That's is, absolutely bullshit. I was like, this is where you reach a point where you're like... I think oh god just like gotten like sucked into a cult or something like that. She she's like she's going to places where they suck. And this wristwatch, see, your body gives off all of this these negative charged atoms, and this wristwatch completely counteracts them. <laughs> Every day she goes to a spa and they scrape her feet of toxins. Uh so she's like, There you go. So how do I seem to you today? He's like, Oh, you seem like a very diligent, utmost devoted student. And she's like, is that all? And he's like, well, you seem more feminine, I guess, and very pretty. You you, you fishing for something here? Yeah, what, yeah, tell she gets, tell me what she to gets say. Super close to him. He's like, I don't I don't really know what you want. <laughs> Speak to me. And she's like, ah, oh, well, that's very informative. Let's get going. And he's like, oh, but I didn't guess the other fifty percent. She's like, mm, game's over now. Come on, let's go. And uh, I win. No got to win. <laughs> now I get your house. <laughs> that was part of the rules. I win. Puts on like a, a gold medal. Yeah, <laughs> you suck. Uh, and then as Ogata's walking away, she says, "That's because you already found all the answers. Fifty percent of the answer pertained to the physical changes related to studying, but the other fifty percent 
was to do with how I feel when a certain clueless someone says those things to me. I didn't like this chapter at all. Aww. Yeah. I don't like Ogata acting this way. Um, I thought that we were kind of getting to a point where she would be like more. I mean, she's acting differently uh, now that she has realized she actually has feelings for Yuiga after that big breakthrough during her uh, story arc. But I don't know. I felt like I guess that I was hoping for that with all that establishment of like what a blunt, logical person that she is that having that feeling would cause her to take a unique approach to dealing with it. And she's just kind of being like, I like the way that it's, it's so normal, I guess it's what you would expect. It's kind of the thing that like, I would expect Aruka to do something like this, but it would be in character for her. And I would, I feel like Ogata would go at this with like a game plan or something like that. If she was going to do it. And it bugs me that she's just kind of like, I am changing my appearance and I enjoy the way that he compliments me when I change my appearance. I don't think it was the best showcase of her personality, but I do think it was actually, there are a lot of little very Ogata things in this. The fact that she decided to play a game with him as Mm. this way to kind of go through things. And the fact that she's very like mathematical about it. Like she's actually giving the full percentages to everything. And that even though the science to all of them is really kind of iffy, that there is supposed to be like that she's like there's some some function to all these things that she's doing beyond just like stuff that's trying to make her seem more like feminine and cute so i do appreciate that as that level but i do agree with you that it does feel like she's not fully ogata in this chapter like her personality doesn't ring true quite the same way hmm. all right you know what time it is, Chris? Because we're gonna read Doctor Stone now. It's time to get stoned. And I Z equals one eighteen. I had someone tweet at me. They may have tweeted yeah. at both of us where they're like, "Now I unconsciously do it every time Doctor Stone comes on." And I want everyone to start doing it every time yeah. you see Doctor Stone. You just shout, oh, "It's time to get stoned!" No matter where you are, at church, at uh, a well, you know, if you're watching Doctor Stone at church, sure. Yeah, <laughs> you're like, it's time to get stoned, and then like someone like goes over and they're like, "No, you're supposed to say in peace be with you." <laughs> <laughs> and peace be with you. <laughs> when did they change it from "It's time to get stoned"? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, John Mulaney has never been more topical than when he referenced that change, and I sat there, I was like. I recall that. As a Catholic, it is very confusing. <laughs> Z equals 118. Silent soldiers. Get a cool picture of Ryusui on the front there with a big-ass sword. sword also, Kohaku's a mermaid for some reason. <laughs> it's a sword made of bacon, too, if you look closely enough. Mm-hmm. Scientific fact. Swords okay, are out Chris. of bacon. All right. <laughs> So Ryusui and Soyuz have gone down and found everyone. Everyone's statues deep in the water. Going to go recover them. Cool. They've run into a problem, though. They're trying to get Kaseki out, and he is stuck in the goddamn ground. They cannot get him up. And there's a really huge problem because, one, uh, they can't lift him. Two, they need to move him or else they aren't going to be able to get Uh, all the contraptions that they need in order to save everyone else. Three, they have like four minutes of oxygen and they cannot get more to make another dive. So they have to solve this problem right now. So 
uh, Rius, we start sending a quick Morse code message up the line to the boat where everyone is. And uh, so the code is is just, you know, a simple like two letter thing. So it takes again a second to actually uh, translate it because uh, he's like, OK, well, we, th- we thought it was like ASN at first. But then he's like, oh, no, 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 it's not ASN. It's actually RF. So RF would be the revival fluid. So they take a beaker of it and they lower it down into the water. And uh, they're like, OK, uh, we've, we're going to go revive Taiju. And then with his super strength, we'll be able to yank Kaseki out. Uh, but of course, then there's another issue. Oh, if we try and splash the revival fluid on him underwater, then it's just going to like dissipate. So we get this very sexy shot of Ryusuke. <laughs> kind of gets under oriented, like upside down. Puts his own mask over Taiju's uh, mouth, uh, not mouth, uh, nose and eyes and kind of lets it dissipate around him. Uh, and it's like, all right, and you know, I'll have we'll have to form a pocket of air down here and you know, administer the fluid that way. And he gets warranted to do that. But then there's the issue of, wait a minute. Oh, Taiju's arm isn't here. We need to attach it or else he's going to, you know, not have an arm. But. Fortunately, Soyuz has found it right away. And Ryusui realizes, oh, you just wait. Did you just memorize what poses they were in when they were first petrified? And that's why you just recognized it was Taiju's arm right away. So we established before that Soyuz remembers everything. So you know what that means, Chris? He really does have baby memories. The legacy will be carried on once Promised Neverland is completed. It's. Odd to me that this is established as like his big thing, and mm-hmm. I'm like, isn't wasn't it also established that part of Usuria's thing is that she had like photographic memory? I don't recall that at all. I thought somebody had photographic memory. I don't know. Huh. I might be mixing it up with something else. You might be thinking of Ares from Astra or Ray from Zerland. <laughs> I'm like Nick. This is we're we're talking about Hemlock Grove, right? <laughs> the Netflix show about werewolves. <laughs> Nick, where am I? <laughs> Do you smell burnt toast? <laughs> Who are you? <laughs> what is this? So Soyuz sticks Taiju's arm back on the stump. They splash the revival fluid on him, and Taiju <laughs> immediately shouts, "I was awake the whole time." <laughs> And he starts gurgling because they're underwater. Uh, oh, right. Yeah. Sorry, Taiju. You didn't know we were underwater. But uh, so Ryusui creates a little bit of atmosphere. And he's like, I'll use this in order to be able to actually communicate with Taiju. I'll make just enough air around our faces so that I can actually talk with him. Uh, but instead, Taiju sucks it all up and then sticks Ryusui's mask back in his mouth. And he's like... He just, you know, looks at him and he's thinking, that's all. You got to keep breathing to Ryusui. There's no need to talk anymore. Friends don't need words when our hearts do the talking. <laughs> oh, I missed you, Taiju. <laughs> I do. Although there is disturbing implication that's created by this. Uh, if Taiju seemingly had consciousness 
after being shattered, which he says, because he's like, I was awake this whole time. And we know that you do keep consciousness as you're petrified, as evidenced by like Senku knowing exactly how long it's been. What happens if you're shattered? I think that you're st- you still remain conscious, but like, you know, you don't know what state your body's in. That's a terrifying thing because there are statues out there that they've like kind of established like, oh, that like the old dude that Tsukasa broke the first time. You're mm-hmm. like, is that dude dead dead or is his consciousness still existing in like the shards of stone that are somewhere at the bottom of the ocean or whatever? Like, <gasps> I believe it's supposed to be the latter um, um, because uh, that's why, you know, Senku had Yuzuriha gathering up all the shards in order to put the statues back together is that there's still a chance to revive them as long as the entire statue can be put back together and then splash with the revival fluid. So, uh, anyway, with Taiju's help, they are able to dig Kaseki out and get him back up to the surface. Not all in one piece, but he'll be fine. <laughs> And they did it. Yeah. Not only do they have Kaseki now, but Taiju's also uh, joined the crew and he's already revived. And there's this big uh, kind of celebratory panel at the end of everyone in the boat uh, all together, which is a cool shot. Uh, I actually like this chapter a lot more than the previous one. This was a good showcase for a bunch of the characters, actual unique talents, as opposed to. Senku thinks of an idea and everyone helps him do the science that's required to enact the plan. This one, you had a bit of Gen, you had Soyuz, you had Ryusui, you had Taiju all making their individual contributions to it. And it felt like, okay, they shot through his characters. Because honestly, if you're going to have this wide cast of characters with unique abilities, then why even bother having so many characters that you could just like sub in like, oh, they fill in the manpower needed to do this. You need to have this is something where they specifically are useful for this situation. I so. want there to be a scene where uh, Senko has to put together like a team to do something. But he's just doing kind of within his group. It's a team that like, has to accomplish something very important. And like so uses a part of it and before he heads over. Sukas is like, so use come here. Let me teach you all of my hand techniques. <laughs> <laughs> and then Tsukasa just goes with them anyway. <laughs> yeah, whatever. <laughs> of all of the fuck, that is such a, in the grand scheme of things, that's such a minor detail in that story. <laughs> And you have never liked him. So just never. He's such a talented writer, but that was one of the biggest like non-storylines I've ever seen. Chris, you need to understand. She's the one female American football player in all of Japan. She's the quarterback of the best team. She is Hiruma's rival in this match. She has the best pass that could ever be thrown. And she did not make the Japanese team. <laughs> no, they had a lot of other really good quarterbacks. You know. <laughs> kid with the recovering broken arm. And, you know, when they had the tryouts and all the secondary players, she didn't show up for it. I you mean, know? come on. She's not going to play a backup. She's got to go. Be, she's got to go do woman things. <laughs> okay. Like, so there was already, like, a lot of, like, 
quiet racism across the series. How fucking dark would it have been if they were like, oh, she wanted to, but, you know, superior. <laughs> like, she could <laughs> They're just like, scientifically, a woman on her period would never be able to play American football. <laughs> And everyone like is just like I mean that's just science, and then they go off to America without her. Listen, they're like, look, we're not saying we think you're great. It's just you know, scientifically, you'll never match a man. <laughs> She's like, you already established me to be the best quarterback in the country. Listen. We can only take 22 starters with us to America. It's either you or fucking Delta Dynamite asshole over here. And look, not for nothing. We don't want to have to get a separate room because you're a woman. Or, like, it's just a shitty We can't afford the fee to get one extra hotel room compared to the 15 we've already got to rent out. Who is our proctor during this anyway? Is there a teacher that's going with these 15 to 18 year old kids? Nope. Oh. It's okay. He must speaks English. Yeah. We'll be fine. He's got infinite funding. Oh, boy. anyway. All right. Promise never. Uh, don't we do Seven Deadly Sins? sins. Yeah. Sorry, Seven I got the chat. I've got the tabs mixed up in order. Uh, Seven Deadly Sins, Chapter Three Twenty Four. Promise between brothers. Uh, so last time Gilda showed up inside of Zeldris's memory, and mm. everyone's like, "Holy shit, you're here!" And all of, like, the trapped Zeldrises are like, Gelda, Gelda, Gelda. But she immediately floats right over to the real one, and it's like, you're the real one. And uh, she's like, what do you mean? He's like, well, what about you? Are you really real? She's like, you fucking lowlife. You can't even tell your real lover from a fake? He's like, I don't know. I didn't mean anything by it. <laughs> Come on now. So she goes to, like. And he's like, oh, it is you. <laughs> She goes to cut him down and all the Step other... Step on me, mistress. Yeah. <laughs> Crunch my balls underneath your heels. Like... <laughs> Melios over the court like, oh, He's oh. like, I should be in here right now. I need to... Jeez. He just... <laughs> He just punches one of the fake like all of Like, all of the Zeldresses are like, yes, yeah, step on me, too. Oh, this, I really don't need to see this part of your mind. He immediately punches one of the fake Zeldresses just to get like, shot out. He's like, oh, no, I hit a real, I hit a wrong one. Guess I'm gone. I don't have to see this anymore. Uh, all the fake Zeldresses immediately, like, start attacking because, like, all right, fine, fuck you. And they go after Gelda. But Melodius throws himself in the way. Gets kind of hurt a little bit in the process. Uh, but he's like, hey, Zeldris needs you, so you take care of him. Zell, it's your turn to beat our old man. So because he uh, interfered, he, he strikes like all of them down. He gets kind of launched out. So he's like, all right, it's up to you, Zeldris. You know, let me act like a big brother for once. You're the only little uh, brother I've got. So see you on the other side. And uh, he disappears. So now it's just Zeldris and Gelda left inside the Demon King uh, as he sits over there and Zeldris is like I'll have to destroy you then and this is like the big Vegeta moment I don't know if Vegeta has a theme uh, but this is where it would play if he did yeah. uh, what if his theme was Jurassic Park Nick <laughs> it's just like he starts going super Saiyan to oh, it's the quiet piano version they did for when the Jurassic World trailer came out meanwhile Chris is like ah! Someone make that video for me, please. 
<laughs> you see, hey, look, g- g- go back in time. Get all of those Lincoln Park AMV makers. Listen, <laughs> guys, we need you. I know something. you like sending it to crawling, but here. <laughs> How about you try Put that John Williams new. over it? You, you, you pass them a CD. You're like, why don't you try something new? And it's, they're like the Jurassic Park CD from 1996. What the hell is it? I don't, even, I don't even think my computer has a CD drive anymore. <laughs> you're like, then buy it on iTunes. You give them like the heads up as you head out the door, and they immediately are just like, "Yeah, fuck it." Who was that guy? Let's see what Fort Minor B tracks there are for me. (laughs) (laughs) All right, (laughs) all right. Promise Neverland. Let's do it. Monster politics! Hooray! Oh man, I I really don't like the guy who did Monster Mash's later hits. <laughs> it's the Monster Politics. They do the ticks. <laughs> Remember to register to vote. They do the ticks. He said, "Register the base." <laughs> <laughs> Chapter one hundred forty-seven: Accumulated Grievances. Gielan's just killed some demon nobility. Nick, I don't want to pull us away, but we need to go further down this rabbit hole of the monster politics song. Because, like, he did the whole thing where he's like, and Dracula was there with the great fight. I want to see the monster politics when he's like, and Dracula headed down to his state representative, and he handed him a bill that said, free blood on Tuesdays, and equal rights! <laughs> and equal rights for And equal rights for, for, and equal rights for <laughs> but no going out dur- but but no campaigning during days <laughs> but <it was. laughs> Wolfman was there in Iowa to eat some really bad weird grub <laughs> Mother more fracking <laughs> and he said no more fracking cause no more fracking <laughs> like oh it's so weird it's a collage of a lot of Actually, and we may need to make this <laughs> we can make this like our Halloween project or something <laughs> what does this have to do with manga shut up <laughs> no, this is the title <laughs> like we don't even remember what series it was by the time we get to the end of this Oh, something to do with monsters and politics. Oh, okay. That was like probably my hero or some shit. Like, I don't know. So, um, yeah. <laughs> the new Lord Bayon is really pissed off because um, he's holding like his mother's mask in his hands <laughs> because he's dead now. And he remembers how Gielan used to be beautiful and just, and now he's ugly and mean. But we cut to 700 years ago, where the still current Queen Lagrivima is hearing Gielan's proposal to actually have some of the food that is kept for the nobility be redistributed to the poor sectors so that they won't devolve as much. Because he's like, this is you know getting to be not just a problem of like, the ones that are actually devolving, citizens could starve. They're going to eat each other. This is going to possibly spread and spread. And we can only have something to rule over if we have citizens. If we don't respect, we protect them, we aren't going to be able to prosper. So this is, you know, we've got to make sacrifices in order to save the citizens, not just for the state, of, not just for the state, but for everyone. 
Um, and they're like, we're going to wait until we find out how the new lower the the new mass produced meat turns out. Uh, so let's wait until the results come in. Uh, end of discussion. Gielan goes off and is like, why don't they understand? And they're and then like definitely not going to betray you. Guy is like, Lord Gielan, you are noble. You must not give up on this because the seed you sow will eventually bloom and you will be able to save them. And he's like, I am so fortunate to have your support. He betrayed him. <laughs> but it's like a real I'm game so of like how could you look at that guy Gielan, and not think i'm sure this guy's not gonna betray me <laughs> i mean he's got eyes separated into four quadrants like a simon says dude that's the most trustworthy face you can have sinister grin is not part of his mask dude you can see him smirking evilly <laughs> <laughs> so, i mean come like, on dude his horns were crossed so he's like Daza. No, how could you do this? And they're like, yes, you were overthrowing, you're planning to overthrow Imperial rule using those with suspicious blood. You betrayed me, Daza. And Daza's like, I am glad you are such a benevolent fool. So he's thrown into prison. Uh, but he's like, call for Duke Iverk. My clan and I are guiltless. We are innocent. And Iverk shows up. And he's like, I know you're innocent. I know that you are noble and just and that you are not attempting to overthrow us. Uh, this was a false charge by Daza. It was a lie. And he's like, well, then why have I been in prison? He's like, you're causing trouble with your morality and righteousness. Look, we get you're devoted and stuff, but you're in the way. And the queen even says, it's like, if the increased population dies off, we'll have enough meat to provide the rest. Let the meat cake. And so he works like, yeah, the queen is rotten. We are all rotten. Your virtue is a nuisance. And Dulce's corruptness was convenient. It was a timely offer. I like how matter of fact the, this discussion is. Is like, yeah, we are looking out for ourselves, and this is an easier way of dealing with the problem than your idea, and you were getting in our way and would have caused problems down the line. It's, hmm. This is some real Game of Thrones shit here, too, where it's just like, yeah, no, we're, we're backstabbing you, but it's all kind of for the politics of this. Hmm. Um, so, pretty cool. Uh, so, of course, Gielan is really pissed off at all, the, uh, at all the nobles in the present, and he's going on a rampage, killing people. And he's like, my family died. The vassals I lost uh, you know, were dear to me, and th- th- none of this will make up for the 700 years we suffered. And he tears off Noose and Bayon's heads, and they're dead now. So, good thing we got all that stuff about Bayon's like, how dare you, Gielan, just for him to immediately die. Like, <laughs> all right. And he starts eating their heads. So, <laughs> my favorite part of the chapter. So Dawes is there and he's like got samurai armor and he's got multiple spears in his multiple arms. And he's like, I am not. I, I know that you are not the wimpy, naive Lord Gielan anymore. But unlike Bayana Noom, the sect. And uh, you, know, I, I have not been sitting on my laurels and just eating delicious meat. I have been honing my skills as a warrior for the last 700 years. I have never relaxed on my position as a regent house. Let's do this. And then another guy cuts it off. <laughs> I, I love it. I, I, I love it so much. <laughs> And the and dude the, has the best line afterwards, too. He's like, you forgot to bow. You were, you needed to apologize to Gielan, Lord Daza. <laughs> and that's it. So almost all of the nobles are already dead. There are 
only two left alive, which are presumably the Queen and Izurk. So, all right, that was easy. <laughs> I, I don't really... I don't think this is a great chapter, but there are parts of it that that are actually really funny to me. So, okay, cool. I love this chapter. I, I, I don't know how, because I gave so little of a fuck about Gielan going into it. And this chapter showing that he was like a super kind of like altruistic, like noble who wanted to help the poor class who just got screwed over by the system. As I said, a very like Game of Thrones, like the Ned Stark character who just got betrayed, but then gets his moment of revenge and is just killing people left and right. It's just like, fuck yeah. And I love how it's like, I don't even know if we saw him prior to this. But how satisfying it was within this one chapter to see Doza just get his head lopped right off by someone else. It's like, fuck yeah! It is a little bit weird. This kind of has like a late Bleach vibe to me, where it's like, we have to have a flashback to establish things about these characters, otherwise you won't care about them. And I still don't care about them, but... I don't know. It, there is something satisfying about such a minor character who is such an asshole just being like, I've been waiting for this day. <laughs> I, I do hope that and maybe we'll, we'll sort of see. My hope is that Gielan doesn't immediately just get killed in the next chapter kind of thing. Yeah, really. Because yeah. like, if, if we haven't seen the queen do anything and she seemed pretty calm during this. So if she just pulls out like a super sword and cuts him in half or something like that, then it's going to be like, wow, that was kind of a waste of like two chapters. But in this moment here, I'm like, cool. I care about Gielan. It's another player in all of this. Like, I feel like things are moving in a cool, fun direction. I don't know. I think that if the intent was it for it to make you care more about Gielan, I don't think it worked on me. Uh, so in a bottle, I like the chapter just because it's just so absurd at certain points. Uh, you know, Daza's so cartoonish. Uh, but in terms of like getting more invested in Gielan's story, it didn't really do anything for me. And I think that it actually worked against kind of some of the stuff that was being set up with this like council of the heads of the region houses for them to have this whole thing with like, you know, the members of the fa of the heads being very close to their families and being very angry with Keelan for killing them. And then they just immediately die. So what was the point? So, yeah. um, so in terms of like how this impacts the series as a whole, it doesn't really do much, but it is in itself entertaining at least. So, all right, let's move Come on off. to Black Clover, page 217, The Scales of Justice. Cool color page at the start of this. I like yep. the coloring on Sekre. Yep, it's very nice. Color page is usually pretty good for Black Clover. So we go to the Clover Kingdom Magic Parliament Courthouse, uh, <laughs> where we do find Dimashio, who is his actual It is Damnatio. Uh, it's a weird name, but hey, I'll take it. I cool. like it. You know what? So they're like, hey, uh, Asta and Sekre are there. They're like, well, we'll just talk to them and understand. You know, they're the ones who will explain everything about the elves and the devil and the reincarnation. Well, they don't approach of their own accord. Asta yeah. says, they want our testimonies, huh? Okay. Yeah, but they're like, yeah, you know, we'll just go and uh, explain ourselves. Uh, it'll all work out. And immediately they're put into handcuffs. And Asta's like, Aah! Asta does a lot of that in this chapter. Mm -hmm. And it is so inappropriate and so annoying. 
Can you imagine, Nick, uh, if you went back in time, you watched the Green Lantern uh, like trial episode of Justice League, and every so often <laughs> when they talked about the plant that was destroyed, Phil Lamar's Green Lantern was just like, ah! like we have like you know the the very emotional like you know speeches, you know Flash trying to help out his friend, Kilowog testifying on his character, and he's just like, ah! it's like, and I know. Yes, that's Asta's character. It would have been inappropriate for Jon Stewart to do that. I'm just saying, this is like a very, like, Asta should be really angry about a lot of stuff that's happening here, and he is, and it kind of undermines his emotional reaction if so much of it is preceded by him going, what's going on? Yeah, he's he's, he's very shocked by this. So they're they're escorted in, they're they're brought before the parliament, Uh, the chairman, Damnatio Kira comes out and he's like, I'm going to pass judgment. Asta's like, why, why are you treating me like a criminal? Uh, and we see that the king seems to be all behind us. Not necessarily behind us. He seems to be all for the, okay. the, witch, the witch hunt of this. He's like, I didn't like that kid anyway. And I really, really just wanted to have a scene of Seke up there, like eating grapes, being like, thanks for the suit, your majesty. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah you caught it all right you can never trust peasants except me <laughs> <laughs> uh so Dimashio is like asta the black clover originally from the church of the village of hage hage i don't know exactly what it's supposed, it's supposed to, to be hage is it yeah. hage okay uh what the village of shadow that's kage kage oh, okay gotcha uh so he's like yeah you're a peasant without parents you have no detectable magic uh everyone's pretty much like like we cut to a bunch of like random undefined nobles and then they cut over to Sekre and they're like this girl who has you know the kingdom has no record of her birth and those horns are clear proof that she's used for mid magic they claim so she's wearing pants she must be cold can we give her, give her something like come on they're like please gentlemen we all know that pants were banned from women <laughs> <laughs> we don't need to go over that court case again. That would make so much sense, actually. <laughs> um, Why did you decide to do that? Because we're assholes. <laughs> it seemed funny at the time and eventually became a law. <laughs> the, so, like, yeah, so they, they claim that the disturbance was caused by a devil and it, it ensnared all of the, the magic knights. And everyone's everyone's like, rah, 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 devil, oh, what's, what's gibberish? It's so nonsensical. And, Etc. Etc. So, uh, Damnatio comes up and like walks up to Asta and just says like, "Hey, this trial only has two options: either we convict you as a devil, or all the magic knights pay for their sins. And you can't abandon other people. The scales gonna show your true nature, and you're simple, impulsive." And easy to deal with. And I wanted to be like, easy to deal with. He's like, let's play rock, paper, scissors. I'm going to choose rock. And he's like, See, good old rock. <laughs> you said it out loud. And that gives me an advantage. Ha ha. Now that you, now I've just tricked you into thinking you how to use rock. Am I really though? You'll second guess yourself. You're going to use rock. I'm going to use rock. <laughs> It's like one of those like Jojo back and forth kind of moments where he's just like, I don't know what he's going to do, but I'm going to use rock anyway. <laughs> but he's like saying it all out loud. <laughs> he's announcing it. Damn it, I lost. <laughs> rock, rock, rock. 
<laughs> like, <it's... laughs> Wait a minute. There's two other options. <laughs> it's like, holy shit, you could use paper. All right, so you used rock too, but my rock's really strong, I bet. <laughs> you're just, you're not actually playing the game. <laughs> Stop punching me. <laughs> I'm trying to prove my innocence. <laughs> By punching the prosecutor? <laughs> Wait a minute. Why are you holding out that really flat-looking rock? <laughs> Paper beats rock? That's nonsense. <laughs> Goes home, just starts throwing rocks at books. He's like, see, they smashed the shit out of those. <laughs> see, look, the paper covers the rock. And now you can throw it at people. <laughs> Uh, so it's like, yeah, he starts explaining everything. He's like, yeah, you know, Nero worked for a really, really long time to do it. Uh, now she was like, yeah, everyone here suspects you're the ones in communication, uh, with the devil. So Asta tries to start explaining. He's like, no, the one in my grimoire is different, but Sekrae, like, thankfully, like, he's like, nope, let's not bring that up. No, we really need to start discussing that. I love her expression through almost all of this. Just like, yeah, we're on trial, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> She's the one who actually is taking this calmly and asks. She's like, uh, so damnation's like, all right, so I'm just gonna call him damnation. Just easier. Uh, he's like, so if there's no devil, then we're just going to have to start prosecuting the, the knights in order. So bring in the child first, <laughs> starting in alphabetical order with C for child. Well, her last name is Adlai. Ah, okay. So they bring Marie in, and they're like, see, she, uh, you know, she was the ruined noble. Uh, She's the daughter of this house. Uh, She now lives in a church with orphans, and her older brother is an ex-conflict. And we determined that during the war, she used her great, her eye magic to cause indirect harm to magic knights and to citizenry. She is no doubt motivated by a grudge against the noble realm. It's kind of actually like a compelling logic to to function there. And Ass is, of course, like, no, don't like she was controlled by elves. It doesn't matter. And he's like, true. If a devil exists, then there was no doubt she was manipulated. However, with no proof, I guess we're just going to have to judge her in the name of justice. Uh, So we see a bunch of fucking wizards pop up. With a firing squad of wands, basically, basically. yeah, and uh, she's just like, uh, uh. All right, we should now begin her trial. Guilty. (laughs) Basically, (laughs) they're just like, nope, you're evil. Guilty. Uh, but before they're They're through like all of these trials in one day, (laughs) he's like, to be fair, there's a Star Trek convention being held here tomorrow, so we have to get this done today. Otherwise, we don't have an opening until April. (laughs) Get to like the council room, and it's like today. Elf, elf trials tomorrow. Parcheesi. <laughs> Nick, did you, did you ever watch uh, Draft Day? Uh no. Oh damn it! There's a great. There's a no, great. Oh, the only thing, the, the closest thing I did was I listened to the podcast that uh, Shane did. Shane Hallam did, where he did a live reaction to it, and he was like, "Uh, no." <laughs> the entire time. The, the best part of that movie is how at the very beginning, Kevin Costner opens up a note, and we don't see what it says, and. We spend like an hour and a half debating oh, right. what he does. And at the very end, he opens up the note and reveals that he had made his choice already a long time ago. It's said, Bonte Mac, no matter what. I wanted Damnation to like go back and he opens his note. It just says, condemn and murder all the magic knights no matter what. And he's just like, I'm glad I stuck to my guts. <laughs> Today's... <laughs> 
Today's agenda. One, murder a bunch of people who might be innocent. Two, dinner. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so before their blast can kill poor little Marie, Asta gets in the way, turns into his devil form, and he's like, you made a real career how you operate, and there's no way I'll acknowledge your justice. So, uh, probably not a great idea, as Damnation's like, and we won't even attempt to reach an understanding with a devil. I do actually like this chapter a lot. Um, that, you know, Asta kind of, like, sees what's happening, and, you know, takes action because he knows he has to. So it's one of the things that's like he's the hero is actually forced to do the big shonen thing because he can't take the time to do anything more intelligent. Asta would have done this even if he had an hour to think about it, I know. But it's nice to see the characters actually coming up against each other in a way that they should be Uh, the scheming uh very zealous justice guy is putting these people on these, you know, very in this, in this kangaroo court in order to hold these fast trials and get, and get justice his way. Uh, And it's clear that his primary goal is actually to expose the devil because we know he knows about the devil. So the fact that he has brought Asta and Sekre specifically here, it's clear what he's trying to do. And he set this up so that Asta had to act like Asta in order to, for him to achieve his goal. And it works. Uh, I like the you know, contrast between their personalities. So I'm interested to actually see where this goes. And I like the manipulation of him by being like, yeah, I'm going to take the most innocent of all of these people that you know and have her be killed if you don't take action and show uh, the devil to everyone. So good stuff. Yep. All right. And now we're going to close things out with One Piece, chapter 953, Once a Fox. Because, Chris, there was not enough backstory to this arc. Here we go. Here's some more. <laughs> I mean, uh, I appreciate it because now Kawamatsu is more interesting. They gave us a Not Kawamatsu, Kikimaru. No, it's Kawamatsu. Kawamatsu is... Kappa. Oh, that one. Okay. Yeah. Yes. 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 Uh, Kawamatsu uh, apparently knows Tsukimaru guy uh, from the past. He we learn in this chapter uh, just to kind of like put the end at the beginning that he was once this rogue fox spirit who uh, exists in this area and would protect the graves of warriors who died out in the cold and their sores became their gravestones. Uh, Kamatsu came across him and then started actually picking up the uh, swords in order to gather weapons for the army that they would need eventually. And uh, Onimaru attacked him, bit his arm and wouldn't let go. And Kamatsu's like, look, I know why you're doing this. I understand it. But please, I need to do this. I, I need to act. I need to do this. These swords will be taken up once again. Uh, so please. And they ended up becoming companions. Uh, Kawamatsu uh, started acting as this mysterious bandit because he couldn't risk being recognized as, you know, Kawamatsu. Uh, and so he you know, wore this mask that eventually, of course, uh, Onimaru slash Yukimaru took up instead. Uh, and he called referred to himself as Yukimaru. 
And uh, he's like, yes, you know, beyond this bridge lies Ringo's heart. You cannot have the graves. And he says, you know, he's like, oh, drop the weapons. They're not yours. And so he basically started this thing that eventually Gukimaru took up the mantle of. So, yeah. And he's explaining all of this to Hiori as they're walking around in the snow after Zoro had fought these guys off. Uh, Zoro had, of course, chased Gukimaru off, but he's like, oh, but he left this door open. So what's going on? Should I, you know, chase him? Should I go in? And Kamasa recognizes it as a as the a path to the underground, and he gets in contact with Kinemon, and he's like, "Hey, uh, you guys need weapons, right?" And uh, Kinemon's like, "Yeah, we we need them because Orochi has confiscated all the weapons in the nation." And he's like, "Well, you can relax because we can recruit thousands of soldiers with enough katana for every last one of them, and they're inside of this shack that has lots and lots and lots and lots of swords and." Uh, Kamatsu sends directions so the men can find the place. Uh, and But of course, Kamatsu is thinking to himself, why are there so many? Was that Onimaru? No, this had to be human work. And we see outside, Gukimaru transforms back into Onimaru and starts to wander off somewhere. So, hmm. Uh, yeah, that's what, what happened in the main plot. Uh, but the detail I am most interested in has nothing to do with any of that, almost. Uh, so, of course... Zoro wants to get Shusui back, uh, but uh, Hiyori approaches them while they're sitting outside and says, hey, you should return Shusui to Wano. And Zoro's like, it's mine. And Hiyori says, in return, I will give you another. The katana I received from my late father, the sword Enma, a legendary katana, the only one to have ever wounded Kaido. Ooh. It's interesting. I wonder... There's a lot of implications that kind of go along with that. One, I wonder what the sword actually looks like, because it was kind of nice having Shusui, since it was a black blade. Very it was distinct from the others, easy, yeah. yeah. Easy to distinguish between the other ones. Uh, but also the idea of a sword I was able to wound Kaido suggests maybe Zoro actually could play a role in defeating Kaido. Mm. Uh, One Piece has always kind of been the thing where it's like, everyone gets their fights, Luffy will fight the big bad guy. So it'll be curious to see if in this arc that's kind of it's not a Zoro arc at all. It's no. just thematically the same as the thematic of Zoro with like Japanese feudal Japan like elements to it. So it'd be interesting to see if they break that up here and they have Zoro play a part and do it then. Uh, but, but the cynic in me says, I don't know if that'll happen because they did this exact same thing in the Magic the Gathering storyline where they're like, we found the one sword that slays dragons and then it turns out the big bad made up that story all along. So they'd go after it and then he'd just wow. shatter the weapon and kill them. <laughs> wow. What a dick bag. That's <laughs> <laughs> sweet. Um, I will say that, that Zoro probably more than any other character in the Straw Hats has probably had the most emotional attachment to stuff that's going on in this storyline. Cause you know, he has uh, developed this companionship with uh, Hiori and he was also the closest person to Yasuye and Yasuye died. And so he's got that going on with him. So there is that. Um, but in terms of stuff that he's gotten to do, he has really been pretty inactive, just kind of wandering around, running into stuff, which is fitting for him. But he has had literally nothing to do with any of the planning <laughs> that's gone on for this big scheme that Kinemon is leading with the others. Uh, 
I'm interested to see about this. Uh, and hopefully now that we've got everything coming together, they've got an army, they've got weapons, then we can get to like, okay, let's get into the actual conflict and get past all the setup for it. All right. That is going to do it then for this week, guys. Thank you for joining us for the Kamanga Recap. We're going to name our favorites now. Yeah, you got to sit through that before you get the recommendation, guys. That's right. All right. So my favorite this week, I'm going to give to My Hero Academia. I thought it was a pretty cool chapter that set up a lot of cool stuff. Makes me excited for where the future is going to go. All right. Uh, my favorite chapter this week. Oof. I'm actually going to give it to Black Clover. <gasps> uh, like That might be the first time I've ever done that. But uh, there were actually quite a few good chapters this week, but I really liked the interplay between uh, Asta and Damnatio. It was probably the one that surprised me the most this week. So Looking back, it looks like that's your first time, at least this year, that, that you picked Black it was definitely It's definitely the first time this year, but possibly ever. So uh, My character of the week, I'm going to give to Gielan. I really, really like this chapter. I think it made Gielan a much mm. more interesting character. And uh, I am going to give mine to Valkyrie. Uh, really, the stuff that happens with her and Homura in Eden Zero. So, yeah. So, it's worth knowing the audience was actually tied for their chapter of the week. Uh, it's a tie between My Hero and Mission Yuzakura Family. Yuzakura Family, yeah. The interesting thing, the character of the week for them was uh, Ogata. So, we were clearly on the, uh, the outs on that. Oh, you you said you you gave it the side eye at everything. Everyone's yeah. like, Nick's become elitist. Yeah, that's right, I have, yeah. I don't know. I'm allowed to be bitter at you guys because you guys are just like, hey, read this series and for your bad week. And I'm like, God damn it. That is the worst one that's on there, isn't Come it? Come on now. We can't be angry at them when we, they did with the ass. I know. So, all right. Before we get into the outro and everything like that, guys, September is in a few days. And as has become Wait, a tradition. No. Right. No. No. Uh, if I'm gonna st- if I'm gonna keep with the Elias thing, then I'm not gonna start acting like Green Day is anything other than annoying. So <laughs> you're very right on that. Uh, all right. Sadistic September has arrived, guys. Uh, this is the month we do each year where we take a look at a long series that has uh, either um, standing negative feelings for one of us or just has a reputation, a bad reputation. Uh, I will say that I narrowed down some of the possibilities that we had on the spreadsheet that NinjaX3i maintains. You can check that out on our Discord channel, everything like that. That's a good place to make recommendations and stuff. See all the stuff that we've looked at. I'm sorry, I'm delaying. I'm delaying getting to the point. I thought about us reading uh, Rise of Shield Hero, but... The thing that made this series edge that out is that this one is complete and that one is not. It would probably be more topical to cover S.H.I.E.L.D. Hero, but it's like an adaptation of an adaptation and it's incomplete. So instead of the series filled with blatant misogyny, we're going to go with the series filled with really, really, really bad fan service. Because we're gonna look—it's not just bad fan service. It's uh... really uncomfortable and gross. This series uh, has a bit of a reputation because the company that was going to translate and distribute it in English-speaking countries—it uh, was so controversial 
that they decided that they were not going to do that and had to be picked up by like some Kickstarter or something like that instead. We're going to be reading Kodomo no Jikan or Nymphets, as it's also known. A series about a teacher of elementary school girls who keep on showing their fucking panties. And one of his students has a crush on him and wants him to have sex with her, despite the fact that she's fucking eight. I Here got, we go! I got three pages into this before I was like, Yep. Alright, that's what we're in for. Alright. Oh, I like the Cesaro t-shirt. Oh, thank you. Yeah. yeah. All right. Let's focus on the positive right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah let's, let's see how great Cesaro is, Nick. Kicking yeah. the rings back and going. Isn't that good? Yeah, he's limited already. Anyway. Yeah, all my favorites are gone already. <laughs> it's been it's been a pretty good tournament so far. Anyway, uh, yeah, the ser- uh, full disclosure, Kanobo G- no Jikan was not actually nominated for Sadistic September, but it was nominated as a bad series. And a lot of people said, yes, this is a bad series if you want to read a bad series. So there you go. As that's going to do it for Weekly Manga Recap, uh, we record the show here Wednesdays around 730 to 8 Eastern time on smashcast.tv slash royalty, twitch.tv slash royalty. You can also follow us on Twitter for updates at MMR Podcast, at Realty, at Nick F. Time. Check out our past episodes on weeklymongerecap.podbean.com and on YouTube and on iTunes. Leave a comment, rating, do all that stuff. Help us overcome the woodworkers and everything like that. Uh, and special thanks go out to our Patreon supporters, to Steve Manor, Talk Artist, to Infamous Planet, Milo Stillitz, soundcloud.com slash Milo Dash Dak. Dash Jack Dash Stillets and was Dale Cheddar. Those last two made the opening sequence for Weekend Manga Recap. Thank you very much. And that's going to do it, guys. We will see you in a few weeks with. Eh. And in the meantime, you may watch us slowly deteriorate as we uh, cover our regular series while we are reading that on the side. So, uh, to note, it's not going to be next week, guys. It's just no. September, so it'll be sometime within it. But, uh, yeah. Hey. It's check. The series is kind of short for Statistics of September, but I feel like we're going to need to take breaks I, on it. So <laughs> I've, I've been averaging about a chapter a day since Nick told me. And so we'll uh, finish Statistics of September sometime in May. You know, yeah, I was like, I don't, it's, it's a little tough to do more than one at a time right now. Yeah. All right. That's good. Do it, everybody. Catch you next time. Ba-da-ba. I don't. I was starting. I started doing the Super Larios Brothers thing where I end it by doing like doesn't make sense. For weekly manga recap. We don't have a Mario theme at all. No, we got to work on more lyrics for uh, the monster, monster politics. politics. Yeah. All right. I, hold on. So which one of us? Which one of us has to work on our uh, the the lyrics for it? The other one of us has to really work on our Boris Karloff impersonation. Oh. <laughs> Because if not, I'm just going to do it as Edwin. <laughs> they want the monster politics. They want the politics. They did the ticks. <laughs> That's right. It's me. Back from the Diamond Kingdom, don't you know? <laughs> and now I'm just... <laughs> I'm just trying to come up with various monster-themed names of politicians. Like, and I went and saw Alexandria ocasio Butez. <laughs> She's not even running for president! <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right, goodbye, guys. <laughs> <laughs>